Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This week's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. If you like audiobooks, then you need to check out today's sponsor, audible.com. They have over 250,000 titles from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. You can catch up on all the hot new books you've been meaning to read while on your daily commute with audible.com. I'm currently listening to former Storycolletter storyteller Sean Carroll's new book, The Big Picture. You can find his books and others on Audible. And just for listeners, they are offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash collider today to start your free trial. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, wow. out. I feel it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Emily Mullen. It was recorded in March 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn as part of Brain Awareness Week. So, 11 years ago, soon after I turned 17, my voice just stopped working the way it was supposed to. It started out slowly and gradually at first. The voice breaks, the shakiness, the instability. But soon I started having trouble saying certain words, especially those starting with vowels. So air became air, eat became eat. I realized that something was undeniably wrong with my voice one day in my 11th grade world cultures class. I was not normally nervous to do a presentation, but I had to give a presentation that day. I got up in front of the class and I just froze up. My voice froze up, that is. I couldn't get my presentation out. The words, every single word that was coming out was punctuated by this grating quiver. And my voice was nervous even though I wasn't. My cheeks, became hot with embarrassment, and I sped through the rest of my presentation as best as I could. At the end, I burst out of the classroom, ran down the hallway to the bathroom, shut myself in a bathroom stall, and just cried. Everything I did at the time, all of my passions revolved around the use of my voice. I sang in the chamber choir at school, and I was in all the plays and musicals. 
I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, incidentally, and um, <laughs> so I, I was on a, a video production team that put together the morning announcements that were broadcast to the entire high school over a closed circuit TV station. So soon everyone at school knew about my voice. My teachers, my classmates, my friends, everyone started asking me, what's wrong? What's going on with your voice? And I couldn't give them an answer. I didn't know what was going on. The voice that was coming out of my mouth wasn't mine. My parents, of course, started worrying, and they took me to doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment. I first went to my primary care doctor, then an allergist, then I saw a neurologist, and no one knew what was wrong. Finally, I saw an otolaryngologist or an ear, nose, and throat doctor named Dr. Rosen in Pittsburgh. And to examine my vocal cords and my voice box, he needed to stick this special endoscope up my nose, through my nasal cavity, and down the back of my throat. And you thought a colonoscopy was bad. <laughs> so while I had this thing in my nose, I was sitting back in this chair and I had to do all these weird voice exercises like I had to sit there and extend the, the vowel E for as long as I could. After the scope, Dr. Rosen brought my parents back into the exam room and he delivered the news. He said, you have a rare neurological disorder called spasmodic dysphonia. In the brains of people with spasmodic dysphonia, the nervous system tries to send messages to the vocal cords to move, but something, dis something gets disrupted along the way. And instead of opening and closing like your vocal cords are supposed to, uh, the vocal cords, which are actually muscles, they spasm involuntarily. So what happens is the vocal cords slam into each other. And that's what is producing the, the shaky, nervous sort of you get the picture. <laughs> Dr. Rosen said that scientists don't yet know exactly where in the brain this disorder originates, but that it's chronic so that my voice would probably never sound the same again. That piece of news hit me the hardest. I felt in that moment like I had suddenly lost a part of my identity. But Dr. Rosen said that treatment is available in the form of voice therapy and Botox injections <laughs> directly into the vocal cords. So like most rational people, I did not automatically choose option B. <laughs> I decided to try a few voice therapy sessions and they didn't work because the problem was that I couldn't control my voice any more than I could control my own heartbeat. The problem was somewhere in my brain, not in the way I was speaking. So I decided, let's try the Botox, age 17. <laughs> I will spare you the details of the Botox injections in case anyone is squeamish about needles, but let me just say that Botox is a miracle drug. It made my voice sound next to normal again. Now, there are a couple of downsides of Botox. 
The first downside is that for about a week or two right after you get the injection, your voice is really soft. And I can't talk much above a whisper. I call it my happy birthday, Mr. President voice. (laughs) The other problem, of course, is that like any drug, the effects eventually wear off. And in the vocal cords, uh, the Botox only works for about three to four months. So... Dr. Rosen explained that if I wanted my voice to keep sounding normal, I would need to uh, most likely come in for a Botox injection every three to four months. Otherwise, the shakiness and the voice breaks would come back. So after my first Botox injection, I decided to audition for the fall play my senior year of high school. I got a role, but... Soon after, I told my director that uh, I had this weird disorder and I would have to get a Botox injection halfway through the rehearsal period. He was a little apprehensive about giving me the role. I was one of the leads, by the way. He cast an understudy. I was the only person in the cast to have an understudy. Luckily, I didn't need one, though, and the show went up. I performed to the best of my ability, and my voice was just about as smooth as it could be. That should have restored my confidence, but it didn't, because everyone at school still knew me as the girl with the weird voice, so I stopped doing things that I like to do. I stopped auditioning for solos in chamber choir. I didn't even try out for the musical that spring. I went to college and I thought I was going to study broadcast journalism, but I decided to instead shift my focus to print. That was also still a thing when I was in college. (laughs) Um, And I made the conscious decision in college not to do theater, not to sing, not to do any type of performance. And at the time I told myself it was because I needed to focus on my academics, but The real reason was because I didn't want to humiliate myself in front of people. So in college, I really only told a few people, a few of my close friends about my disorder at first. But in college, you know, you get invited to parties and bars and it became a little bit harder to conceal this voice problem. But You know, in that awkward period right after a Botox injection, like that week or two when my voice is still really soft, I I couldn't exactly talk above loud drunk people and blaring music. And sometimes people would ask me, what's wrong with your voice? Are you okay? And sometimes I would just say, "Uh, I'm getting over being sick. And I would start making up excuses and stop going out. And I just, I got tired of explaining I got tired of people not understanding. And sometimes my favorite excuse to use was simply, I lost my voice. After college ended, things got a lot better. The friends that I had made had, at this point, just accepted my voice disorder as a part of who I was. I started a career in journalism at a newspaper and the way I dealt with my disorder in the workplace was that I would write down all of my questions that I was going to ask sources and practice everything I was going to say during an interview ahead of time. That's good journalistic practice anyway, but I felt like I had to do it 
more than the average person and I would do these weird breathing exercises in my cubicle. Soon after, not soon, but after years of living with this disorder, it slowly started to recede into the background of my life. And instead of being something I obsessed over on a daily basis, it really only became something I thought about when I had to go in for another Botox injection every three to four months. It became routine instead of a nuisance. And then in 2012, I decided to do something that I hadn't done in a really long time. I went to audition for a play. <laughs> I read, I got called back for the role, and I didn't get the role. But a few months later, I went back and the local community theater was having auditions for another show in their season. So I read again. And this time I got a role. I actually got a role. After that, I started going to more auditions. And sometimes I would get a part and sometimes I wouldn't. But it didn't matter because I was doing it again. I was doing this thing that I loved that I had really, really missed. And I wasn't just talking in front of people, but these were people I didn't know, and I was performing again. Then in April 2014, I had landed what was probably my biggest theatrical role since high school. I got a Botox injection before the show went up so that my voice would be pristine and clear. And then the show opened. We had four weekends of nearly sold out shows. My voice had never felt better. The show closed, and a few months after, it was time for my routine Botox injection, but my voice still sounded okay. No voice breaks, no shakiness. So I thought, okay, let's wait another month and see you know, if I, if I need to schedule an appointment then. So I waited a, a month, and then I waited another month, and then a couple months turned into a year, and still my symptoms were mysteriously absent. So I thought, what the heck is going on? Can science explain this? I am a science writer. I started, you know, pouring over medical research online, anything I could find about spasmodic dysphonia, and I found a mention of one word, remission. In a small number of patients with spasmodic dysphonia, remission can occur, but it usually only lasts for about a few weeks or a few months at the most. And at this point, my symptoms have been gone for over a year. Now it's been two years since I had my last Botox injection. I don't know how long this voice is going to last, but I think I'm okay with that. A decade ago, if you would have told me that I'd be up here performing again, I wouldn't have believed you. Back then, I thought I had lost a vital part of my identity. Now I realize that it was there all along. I just needed to find it again. Thank you. That was Emily Mullen. 
Emily is a freelance science writer interested in telling stories that explore the intersection of health and humanity. She's a regular contributor at Forbes, and her reporting frequently appears in the Washington Post. She's based in the Washington, D.C. area, where she performs with and writes short plays for The Coil Project, a nonprofit theater company. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. And a shout out from Brooke Williams, Zaina Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, to Brain Awareness Week and Be Brainy for being amazing partners, and to Botox for stopping muscles. For... Thanks for listening. Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.